step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Cinephiles Radio. I'm your host, Steve Peace. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have the great Peter Jang on today. Writer, producer, director, stunt performer, stunt choreographer. All around great guy. Can't wait to talk to him. I have some new emails from people. You know, I was looking at the uh, analytics of the people that we're reaching. United States is number one. I would assume so, of course. But yeah, the numbers are there. Germany is number two. That's that's strange to me, considering that Canada is number three. Canada, Canada, do better. Come on. (laughs) You're mighty because they're neighbor. Taiwan is next. And then United Kingdom. Thank you, Taiwan. I really appreciate that. I wonder how many people are learning English from listening to me. That's going to be sad. (laughs) That's going to be a sad outcome. All right, Taiwan, I'll see you soon. I've got a a funny little story for you. Uh, I went to the uh, market today. I don't know how it came up. I think I was buying some IE Poke or something like that. And the person behind the counter was was Asian, just just like I'm half Japanese. And I we made some remark towards each other, and he goes, "Well, you you don't look Japanese." And I'm like, "I don't know what to tell you. Like, <laughs> you know, what do you want me to do? Like, bring out some kind of like, you know, I'm Asian card, laminated." I don't, I don't, I don't understand. So it, it leads into another story. I remember when I was at the ripe age of 15 years old, and I was working at the AMC as a, just a little kid. And there was a circle of people standing around, from supervisors to cleanup crew to ticket ticket busters. You know, the people who take your tickets. Now I grew up with an immigrant background. My parents were immigrants. I grew up in an immigrant neighborhood. We were multifaceted from being Filipino to you know, European to Hawaiian. It, was, it just really was Hispanic. It was, it was very scattered. But in a way, it was, you know, it was, you know, we were all together on this game, right? So I never, I know I'm naive in this when I say this, but I experienced more active racism than I did verbal racism. Like at that time, you know, only white people played golf. You know what I mean? Only white people played tennis. And 
Like when you watch Caddyshackers jokes and then, you know, Arthur Ashe came in and, and changed the game. And then Tiger Woods came in and changed the game. Get back to the story. So, anyways, they're telling this racist joke. One of the guys is telling this racist joke. And I'm 15 years old. And I don't know what's happening. And everybody starts laughing. And I'm a little confused. I, I really don't get what he's trying to say. And this one guy, I see this clear as day. Whitest skin you'll ever see. Blonde, little blackish, slicked all the way back. Had canines that were quite sharp, actually. And blue, blue eyes. He goes, I take offense to that. And they all just stopped and looked at him. And he goes, and, and the, the guy who told the joke goes, why, why do you take offense to that joke? And he pulled out his wallet. And all of his family was, was black. Dark black, by the way. And he was the only white kid in his family. He was an aboriginal. He was, you know, some kind of fluke. Is what he would is what he would say. Now I really don't know what his story is, and we didn't really get into it. And like I said, I was 15 years old, so you know the story can only be as true as, as I've been telling it for the past you know, upteenth years. But everybody looked extremely shocked. And everybody scattered like like roaches, <laughs> like roaches. Now, what that what that really taught me was you really don't have any idea at any time who you're talking to. So if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. And if a conversation starts off as you know, I'm not racist, but yeah, something bad is about to happen. <laughs> but I, was, I don't know. I just woke up with that story in my brain, and you know, they, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, neurologists and a lot of, you know, motivational speakers and whatnot say like you're only going to remember your tenth birthday like 19 times in your entire life. Well, I remember this story, and I've taught this to my students hundreds of times. Just, just because you just don't know who you're talking to, you don't know what they're going through. So one text, one day, can mean one thing, and another text in two weeks can mean a completely different thing. So sometimes intent goes into play. Well, enough of me jibber-jabbering. Let's bring on the great Peter Jang. Let's give him a little, little clap as he comes on in here. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> hey, Peter. That's the way everybody wants to enter the room, right? With, with big claps. Yeah, right. That's like a clap track. I love that. It means you can hear that around with me. <laughs> <laughs> it, goes, it goes back to Three's Company or what have you. Yeah. <laughs> now, we haven't, we haven't seen doing, each Joe? other in it. Good. I'm doing, I'm doing very good. I, you know, we had some technical difficulties, obviously, and, and I had to communicate with that with you. Well, the reality of the situation is I have one of these... M- middle MacBook Pros, the one where they took away a lot of the extensions like the SD card and what have you. So I, I need to use this little adapter in order to plug in all of my equipment. Yeah. And then I just lost it. <laughs> so it's like, oh my God. I'm a I'm a PC guy myself, so I uh can't can't relate too much. <laughs> yeah. I've been a PC guy my entire existence. Uh I only got into MacBook Pros, maybe around five years ago, six years ago. 
Uh, but yeah, I've been a, a PC builder since I was a little boy. So, and before that, oh, it was wow. the Commodore. Yeah, we were, pro- my brothers and I were all programmers for the Commodore 64 and what have you. So I built my own PCs. I'm a big gamer. I mean, I only game on a PC, obviously. Um, you know, and I love, you know, I, you can't, you can't, you can't play video games on a, on a Mac. Well, I imagine <laughs> if you wanted to, it'd be, it'd cost you a million dollars just to get the rigs. Yeah, well, the problem with Ma- with Max is that you'd have to get um, a a code or a program that actually makes it into a PC, and then you, uh, can, dummy, you can dummy the program from that point on. So it's like, whatever, dude, you might just buy a PC. You know, it's only you know a fraction of the price. When I come on a gaming computer, it's a fraction of the price of a MacBook Pro. A MacBook Pro will cost you around fourteen hundred dollars, where a, a a decent rig will cost you around nine hundred bucks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. As well, a he, budget he, filmmaker, I, uh, I I have to go with the PC for the <laughs> for the. Uh, <laughs> you know, for, I agree with you. I agree. With you. Well, the Adobe Premiere and the way to to get Adobe Premiere on there is so fantastic, and you know, as, as well as getting, you know, I'm going to be honest, pirated copies and what have you. I I took um, you know, Adobe Adobe came out to my college and spoke to us. Uh, when we were doing photo, the class in Photoshop, and one of the questions was, is should you pirate Adobe? Because it was the big days of pirating, especially for college students. And yeah, the representative said, listen, ethically speaking, if you're not making any money off of our program, I can completely understand why you're why you're pirating our program. But if you're making money off of our product, you 100% should pay for it. Right. Yeah. Well, I think it's a lot easier too because now you can do the uh, subscription. So yeah, that's what I've been doing. Yeah. Well, they've they've been very intelligent about that because you could end your subscription like thirty dollars a month and just you know take a break and then come back to it and what have you. And there are, I mean, there's so many programs you can get for free just to practice along the way. Or now we have YouTube and what have you, so you can learn from like a 14 year old how to how to edit and what have you. But it's been right. a very long time since, <laughs> since since we actually seen each other. The last time we saw each other was at the premiere of our short films uh, at the Chinese Theater, and that was like literally hours before the pandemic hit. Right, yeah, Grumman's Chinese Theater. That was right. That, God, it must have been at least uh, a year and a half, two years ago. Yeah, two years ago. Yeah, maybe. Well, now yeah, no, no, that you're... That was when I short film Ponds. Uh, I had my that film out there. I think you had your zombie film out, right? Yeah, I had my zombie film out there. And uh, I, I was able to see Ponds as well, which was which was excellent. Um you know, no surprise, of course, but I, I was very happy to see you there. I was surprised because we seemed to bump in, into each other all over the place, like the tours, awards, and and uh, you know, and we know this, a lot of the same people. You know, going to Bat in the Sun and truly in these studios, and, and you know, Aaron Shanky to to uh, Sean Pacinino or what have you. So we 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 know the same people, but uh, it's always great to bump into you. Yeah, well, I've, I've you know now I've been in the industry for about eleven years. And I've noticed that. Uh, you know, there, a lot of people want to be in the industry, but then, like, everybody kind of burns out after a couple of years. So, you know, right. if you've been in it long enough, then it does become a pretty small world just because um, there's only a few of us that actually stay in it. <laughs> right. Now, why, why why do you think people, you know, before we go on to your this is your life moment, why do you, why do you think that it is that people burn out on this? Is, is it like one of those I don't have any hope moments or is it what is it? Well, you know, I actually talked to a lot of people about this because, um, 
you know, I think that to be in the film industry in general, like I know this about myself very specifically, that you have to be a little bit, um, let's say, eccentric, you know, in a certain way, because we're all deciding, as, you know, to make a career out of something that, you know, at a very young age, a lot of people are like, ah, that's, I have to get a real job, you know. <laughs> so, like we're all, a little, we're all a little bit crazy to do this whole freelance, you know, make art as a living kind of uh, choice for ourselves. And, um, I mean, so, you know, it, all practicality, it makes a lot of sense to me. You know, I even tell people, you know, you know, I've taught a few seminars here and there about either filmmaking or, or uh, right. stunts or anything like that. And I basically tell people, like, well, first off, let me tell you, probably shouldn't do it. And second off, if you do decide to do it, you know, you have to really figure out if you really love this because the worst case, or the best case scenario is that you don't find work for, you know, if you don't love it, that's what I mean, is right. that you don't find work in like two or three years. And then uh, you, you know, burn out, you do something else, and you move on. The worst-case scenario is that you do find a little bit of work. And then, you know, seven, ten years down the line, and then maybe work dries up or you have, like, a, you know, a, couple, a little dry spell, and you don't like what you do, and you're also really short on money, and you, it doesn't feed you at all, like, artistically, or, or it doesn't feed your soul at all, then you're not only are you going to have to find something else to do, but you're also going to be starting from the bottom because, you know, for the most part, people who don't really see this as like a quote unquote real career. So, you know, 17 years into it, all of a sudden you've been basically unemployed for the last seven, 10 years. Right. And you have to go back to entry level kind of positions, no matter how good you were at whatever you were doing beforehand. So, I mean, all for all practicality, it makes a lot of sense to me that people do, you know, kind of burn out or, you know, maybe they thought that they liked, wanted to do it, but then once they saw the world and once they started doing it for a couple of years, there's like, well, this isn't for me. And I think that's a, that's very healthy, you know, um, but I usually see it around like two, three years about of doing it. You know, usually people kind of figure out whether or not it is something that really feeds them, um, not just, you know, money-wise, but also feeds their soul and makes them want to do it because it's not an easy route uh, to go uh right. you know the, the freelance lifestyle in general is just very difficult it, it sounds almost like you're implying that you know like a, a quick is uh, it sounds like it's a negative thing that a, a, a natural build-up to your career would be more of a a preferable route well i think it depends you know if if uh if it is if it just so happens that you're right and this is something that you love to do. And I mean, I always say is like, would you do this if you weren't being paid? Um, you know, and right. if it is something that you could do sustainably for a long time. And like I said, it has to feed your soul. You know, it can't just be something that you're doing for money because I mean, for the most part, most people have a really hard time making a living at it. And if you do, it's a relatively modest living. There's very few people in the film industry, you know, except for the ones at the top that are doing like these big things that like, you know, are making a huge, huge killing, you know? Um, so, I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, if, if you found it early on and you found success and it's something that you really love to do and it's something that really feeds your soul, then yeah, I mean, I think that's, it's great that you can find success early on, um, you know, whether you're a journeyman or not. But if, you know, if you do find success early, but it's not something you love to do, it's just something that, you know, is fun in, in, at the moment, but then 10 years later you're lost in your life, then I don't know if it was really worth it. Right, right. And how did you find your experience? I mean, you, you're you're brought up in Ohio, right? Uh, yeah, I, I uh, from Columbus, Ohio. 
And I grew up in Delaware, Ohio, uh, kind of out in the, the farmlands. <laughs> um, I, I, I live on a farm, but, you know, driving to high school is about, you know, 15, 20 minutes straight of, like, farmlands. Um, but, yeah, I went into – I wanted to go into business. Um, I came out to San Diego, UC – UC San Diego, University of California at San Diego. Uh, you know, this is like, my, before there. you start talking about that, my question is about mm-hmm. that is, um, was it the UC San Diego where you get drunk at? Or was it the UC San Diego? Because we both know <laughs> the two San Diego colleges there. One is where you, the party uh, college, and the oh, other right. one is like uh, the college State. college. Yeah, San Diego, okay. San Diego State's the, the party college. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they, we, up, though, they, they do have a good business program, though. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they do. <laughs> well, business people really yeah. know how to party. I'm telling you. But, but oh, you, went, you sure. went over there. You said you went over there for economics. Right, right. Yeah, so I, I did more of the uh, egghead side of it. <laughs> I, I, you know, they, they like to say that UC San Diego, it's University of California, San Diego, but we call it UC Socially Dead. <laughs> um, I mean, it was, funny. it was a fun school. I, I was going to say I didn't do my fair share of partying there, but, um, I mean, there's no there's no fraternity row. Um, there's not, like, these huge, like, mansion parties that you got in a lot of other schools, you know, like at fraternity houses and stuff. And, right. uh, I mean, like, our mascot you know, on our thing. I mean, it's the Triton, but like, if you look at the logo of UC San Diego, it's the library. <laughs> it's Geisel Library. Right. right. Geisel and you know, Dr. Seuss. Uh, but, right. you know, so, you know, even when we were, you know, doing anything on campus, I mean, a lot of times it would be sitting around the library and, you know, it, um, it, it was just a very, it was a, it was a more serious school. Just um, a lot of people are just studying a lot, you know, sports. I was a, athlete, a college athlete. Uh, I fought Taekwondo in, in, in college as a college team. But um, I mean, like they didn't really, I think the highest scholarship they gave when I was there was like a $500 scholarship, which would barely pay for wow. the books. So yeah. they didn't, they didn't care that much That's like about you know, sports where they're actually paying people to be there. You know? Yeah. Um, well, you started off in Ohio in, in Taekwondo, right? How, how how old were you? I did. Uh, well, I I first started off in, with uh, karate when I was very young. I was actually talking to my father about this the other day. He just moved out here to California. Oh, um, nice. But yeah, I started karate only for a couple of months. It didn't take, and then moved on. And then a, a friend of his um, was my first kung fu teacher when I was eight years old. And then I moved mm-hmm. to a different school, and so I did kung fu for I would say probably about four years. And then I moved on to Taekwondo just because Kung Fu, as great as it is, um, it didn't have the, the kind of structure that, um, oh, that Taekwondo has as far as you right. know, having Olympic, an Olympic event. So right. my father decided that because Taekwondo is in the Olympics and there, you know, there's a, there's a path right. that you that you're set that you can go and versus Kung Fu is kind of like segmented. Everybody's like, you know, the, the Prang Mantis styles don't think that the, uh, the Hungar styles aren't as good. And, right. And Seven star like, Prang Mantis and Hungar and Hopgar. Yeah. <laughs> All of them, they think they're the best, you know, versus Taekwondo, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a strict curriculum and, you know, you do this form with this belt and you fight these people, yeah. you know, so well, yeah. a lot, little bit more organized than that. Mm-hmm. Well, not, not, you know, not a lot of, you know, I don't really speak about myself. You know, this is like my, well, I think my 157th episode of this uh, of this program. And I never speak about myself, but 
Uh, yeah, I've been teaching Kung Fu since I was 17 years old, and I had two dojos myself. Mm-hmm. What's very what's very interesting about martial arts is that in the end of the round, because I know that you, you, you performed kata and, or forms uh-huh. or patterns in college. What's interesting about martial arts is in, in the very end, it's all noodles. It's, it's right. all noodles. Right. Yeah, it's spaghetti. It's noodles. It, it's, it, it's just what it is. Because you can say you're the best at what you do, and it's really not true. It's the person who's the most passionate. It's the person who sees the most in themselves and, and in what they're doing. But these people that say that their style, Hopkar Hungar, Seven Star Praying Mantis, to Shaolin Kung Fu, to, you know, White Crane, to even like things like, like White Snake in San Diego and what have you, or White Tiger. Yeah. Uh, these people who uh-huh. say that, and, and we also have the Poggy Wands, Togi Wands, uh, Sangmu Kwans in Korea and what have you, before General Cho made it all into Taekwondo, uh, or Shibogis, uh, or even Okinawa mm-hmm. Tae going into karate as well. We're not going to talk about this all day long. But, but when, you look, when, you look at, when you look at those styles, a lot of those people will say, you know, we're the best at what we do. But I, I would argue that's a lot of people who would say, I have the highest IQ. It's like, right. what? Like, that, I mean, Einstein and Stephen Hawkins would say, like, anybody who compares IQ is an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know. It, it was, yeah, I'm, I'm the same way, you know. And growing up, my father was very adamant, what he, is what he called um, cross-training. And, you know, for me, it, going to these schools, and they're like, no, you, you should not go to that other school. This is the school that you should be at. And then, you know... Um, but father at home telling me, well, no, you take the best teachings from boxing, the best teachings from wrestling, the best teachings from Taekwondo, the best teachings from Kung Fu and, you know, all the different styles, you know, find all of them that you like and find their best teachings and then cut out the stuff that you don't like and then make your own thing. And, and, uh, you know, he was a very entrepreneurial man. You know, he came over here, um, you know, in college and started his own business. So I can see how he kind of took that for his own life. And then he, he put passed that on to me. I think that was one of the best things I ever, I ever figured out for myself that, that I, that he ever gave me that, you know, I, I helped make for myself was that, um, taking all the best things from everything and, you know, right. putting it all into my own experience and then, uh, finding how to, you know, what, what is the best way that makes me healthier and also makes it so I can protect myself and also makes it so that I can pursue, you know, better things moving, moving forward. You know, I think it also helped me with um, uh, fight choreography as well, because, you know, whenever I am right. putting together some kind of uh, fight, then it's, I'm not really married to one kind of style, even though right. unless, it's a, unless it's supposed to be stylized. You know, I can kind of draw from all these different things, and it makes it gives a lot of great ideas because sometimes with certain martial arts, it can be very limiting. And they're like, you never right. do this movement, never do this movement. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me to think that way. Right. Well, I think there's a difference between a professional martial artist that's, you know, going to stay inside of a, a brick and board for the rest of their lives. You know, they're going to teach in a dojo for the rest of their existence. And somebody who's meant to go out there and perform and, and be their own person and, 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 uh, and, uh, like, like a stunt choreographer or a stunt, a, a stunt performer, or what have you. I think the versatility, I believe, would do you justice because, like you said before, you know, it, unless you're going to be a Jackie Chan. You, you, or, or a Jet Li, you need to represent all styles. You need to know 
uh, which you're going to do in different ways and adapt. Sure. Well, you know, and I think there's, I mean, obviously I would never say that they shouldn't be experts in certain things, you know, I mean, oh, that's with, not what we're saying. People yeah. That dedicate, yeah. With, with somebody that dedicates their entire life to a specific kind of art. I mean, I think that's a beautiful thing as, as well. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, personally, we should all be open to everything, but you know, right. if we, if we all, if there was never anybody that was an expert in anything, though, then we wouldn't be able to draw from all these different things because there wouldn't right. be no pure form of it out there. So, right. I, mean, I think that, you know, seeing, you know, seeing people that dedicate their entire life to a specific art, I think it's beautiful. I really do. Um, but I just know that for myself, I, I, I want to be able to move forward into the future, like taking the best from all these different things and then combining them together. I think, I think it maybe is just, Maybe because I'm a mixed race person, you know, <laughs> I felt no. like maybe that's kind of what happens with, uh, when no, people I, get I, 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 I 100% understand where you're coming from. I remember, you know, I, I'm one of the fourth youngest grandmasters of my style's history, and, and I remember one of my one of my family members in, in Fukushima, Japan, said to me, like, why don't you why don't you teach a karate do? And I go. <laughs> why don't why why don't I cook Chinese food? Well, I'm, I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's not, you know, before World War II, karate do meant China hand way. After World War II, karate do meant empty hand way. So it's like, it's just everybody calm down. Everybody calm down. <laughs> uh, it's, you know what I mean? It's, it's all, because I'm half Japanese, half, half, half Sicilian. So it's, it's like, like, you know, you and, and I'm as well. And, and, you know, you look more Asian than I do. So people don't question your, your Asian passport. But people absolutely, uh, I, you know, well, you, depends on who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I, well, maybe, maybe you, some people you look more Native yeah. American or, or Latino. Um, you know, people yeah. people get that mixed all the time. But I would argue if you look at the classic samurai that have beards and what have you, they look Hispanic as heck. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, a long time ago, you know, the uh, the Bering Strait, you know, was connected between Russia and the in Alaska. So That's a lot right. of the Native Americans, you know, they have Asian, Asian lineage. And even in when I did my 23andMe a long time ago, you know, they actually mixed in a lot of the Native American with Asian um, heritage just because as far as right. DNA goes, I mean, they are very similar just because that, that's who walked over. I mean, that's where Native Americans came from. They walked over from Asia. That's right. My, my favorite, one of my favorite subjects is history as well as archaeological studies. And in California, the oldest arrowhead we found inside of a cave was a Japanese arrow. It's oh, the okay. oldest okay. arrow we found in, in America. And, it's, and it was a time where the black bear was the size of a, an 18-wheeler. And it's, it's really amazing how time, right? That would scare the hell out of me. I don't care who you are. I mean, those guys were like four foot ten. Like I, I would, right. I would, I would literally go like, go ahead. Is it yeah, I know. Uh, are they ferocious? Yeah. They're ferocious at like five feet long, much less like you know the the, the size of, a, of, a, of an eighteen wheeler. Like I'd be like, what am I doing in this state? Like, oh, get me out of this country. Those guys fought. Those guys. It was incredible. But, and those are the ones that can climb up trees, too, I think, right? Like, you can't even yeah. escape them if you like – a grizzly what? can climb up a tree and get away from it, but a black bear will just come, climb up right after you. <laughs> I, I think those guys would just swipe the tree down and knock you off and then eat you, <laughs> you know, because they're so, you know, they're so gigantic. You know, the one, the one thing yeah. I – and I wanted to ask you before we move on. 
as we were talking about kata and, and you doing that in college, what was your favorite kata pattern or form? Uh, you know, actually, you know, the longest time I, I really enjoyed my Kung Fu forms the most, you know, I, I know that's not the same as Taekwondo, but yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I know you were maybe asking me about Taekwondo because that's what I was doing in college, but uh, my Kung Fu forms were, you know, I mean, it's just artistry in motion and, and Taekwondo is the same thing. It's just, it's, it's much more um, uh, like re- regimented, you know, it's a little sure. bit more uh, strong, you know, it's not as flowy, um, but you know, for Taekwondo, I mean, my main thing was actually sparring. Like, I spent all of my time training sparring. I did very well in my in my forms competitions, and choreo right. is the is the first degree black belt form that ah, I did. Ah, choreo punse, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I loved it. You know, uh, I love that form still. But um, at the same time, it's my main focus. You know, through my Taekwondo career, was actually sparring. Even though that I did better hmm. in my forms competition than sparring, because you know, um, yeah. I. I I did get national champion one time for sparring, but you know, four, and then four times for forms competition. So I was better with forms. Uh, maybe I just, I guess I, I looked pretty, like good while I do them. But um, yeah, so but my main focus throughout my Taekwondo career was always about sparring, just because I always felt that right. the the greatest test, um, obviously, other than just straight up fighting, you know. I think that you know putting yourself in competition is is a very great test of your mental uh, toughness, and then also just showing how well you do with another person, and you know on a spur of the not spur of the moment, but like you know something that you prepare and then you have to prove it in the ring. You know, I, right. I like that side of it. You know, having that kind of gladiator kind of feeling of going into the ring, knowing that you and him have trained to the, the peak, you're, you're paired up because you guys are the same, you know, same height or whatever. And then you just see who's, who's best that day. I, I love right. that. And, I, and that's what I trained for. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned choreo. I actually did a dissertation on the kata choreo, you know, and where, and oh, where it came, yeah, where it came from. It actually originated in, in China, went off to Korea mm-hmm. and then went off to Okinawa and then Japan and a lot of people call, you know, the Korean style and the Japanese style choreo too. And they call the original one mm, choreo. Because for, for the listeners out there, there was the choreo dynasty in, in Korea. So the choreo dynasty was, is what choreo is named after. Uh, but it's a, it's a really beautiful, beautiful form. It's, it's actually one of my favorite katas or forms. And what's interesting about katas out there that are listening that, that don't understand, inside your kata, there's called bunkai. And bunkai is a Japanese word for, for what is the translation of movement? What does this move mean? Because it's not just, you're not just dancing. These movements should have application. They should have meaning. So if you type in, you know, B-U-N-K-A-I in YouTube, you'll find a lot of people going like, this is, and by the way, it's up to interpretation. Um, this is what this means. This is what this means and what have you. So it's, it's very interesting to hear you. I mean, this is a very interesting conversation. I haven't had this conversation in a very long time. But let's go, let's go back to your, 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 your movie career. So you're in Ohio. You go, right, we're all over the place, right? You go off to, uh, from Ohio to San Diego State. When in between these moments did no, you decide uh, you, that, you hey, see San Diego, not San Diego Oh, State. excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> 
let's not get those confused, right? So <laughs> UC, San Diego, UC San Diego. So you go to UC San Diego. When is it between this moment that you decide, hey, listen, I want to get into the entertainment industry. I want to do this. Well, you know, it was actually much after that. I, I mean, once I went to UC San Diego, I finished my degree in economics and uh, I got a job down there in San Diego. Then I moved up and uh, got a job up here as a business development specialist in a market research firm in Santa Monica. Uh, but when I was in, still in San Diego, though, I did do one day of extra just for fun. Just somebody, one of my uh, one of my friends had posted up something on his Facebook saying that they were looking for somebody. I was like, oh, that'd be fun. So I did it, and it was it was a really really cool time. And then uh, when I moved up to LA to wor- work at that market research firm, I uh, I just I started doing extra work here too, just for fun. You know, I liked being on set. I didn't really care about the money because it wasn't much. It was like eight bucks an hour or something like that. Um, but you right. know, it, it was fun. I got to be on set. I got to see how the sausage was made, and uh, re- that was really my my introduction to the film industry. And uh, but then once I got into SAG, um, I was actually on the Muppets movie and the movie In Time. I got all my SAG vouchers. So for you know people listening, you know to join SAG, you can get three vouchers as a as a union extra person, and you can join the union. Um, right. I got all of mine on the movie In Time and the Muppets movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then but once I joined. And then, you know, I, I saw, like, oh, I can make 18 bucks an hour doing this. And at the job I was at, I was only making 16 bucks an hour. I was like, huh. <laughs> That's, That's an weird. easy sell, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I basically went to the, the people because I like that job. I actually really like that job. And I was just like, hey, you know, I, uh, I have this opportunity to do extra work. I mean, it, it's 18 bucks an hour. Uh, if you guys can match that, I'll stay. But if not, then I'm going to go. And they basically was like, well, we'll do $17 an hour. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, bye. <laughs> and, uh, of course, they did the whole song and dance of like, yeah, you'll never make it. What are you, you're making the biggest mistake of your life, you know, whatever. But, right. yeah, I think it worked out pretty good. Um, but, yeah, so when I first came here, it was I was at a market research firm. And then, you know, just doing extra work, meeting people on set. It was just a lot of fun. And then once I started working a little while and, you know, I, I was doing that for a, a bit where I was making a decent amount of money, actually. And then, uh, But then people kept on telling me, like, oh, well, you're a martial artist. You're looking at stunts. Um, so I started um, asking around, and there was a, a calling, an answering service called Missy's that um, basically before there were cell phones and you could leave voicemails very easily and get a hold of people, they had mm-hmm. all these stunt people would use something called an answering service where – um, they would know the schedule of those stunt people. So if they were on set or doing whatever they were doing, you know, people could still book them without having to worry about, you know, them not being able to take the job. So right. um, I didn't have anything like that, but like she kind of took me under, you know, like she was, um, the, her name was Missy. Uh, she, she's passed away since then, unfortunately, but um, oh. she kind of got me, you know, was, sending me on something called hustles where basically you go to a, a set and you meet the stunt, you try to find the stunt coordinator and give them your right. resume and tell them right. you want to get hired. Um, she sent me on some of those and, and eventually one uh, on the CSI New York, my, my now good friend, uh, Norman Howell, he's a stunt coordinator on that. He asked her, he's like, Hey, I want somebody a little bit more green. He, he really likes giving people chances. Uh, new people chances, and he knew that the job that you know didn't you know, didn't require like a super crazy amount. So he wanted somebody that like wanted to be in the, the business and that he could kind of help out. So uh, she gave him my name, and that that was 
ended up being my first four-rate stag job, uh, stunt job on CSI New York. And uh, it's, it's pretty simple. I just, you know, played a bodega's uh, owner's son, and yeah, I got knocked right. over into some boxes. Um, but well, see, you know, CSI, cool. I didn't even have any stuff in. Well, CSI New York was your your first real job, right? Your first big job. Yeah, my first four-rate stunt job, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I did, wow. I did other movies and projects, you know, it was like 100 bucks here or free. Um, uh, I did, uh, I think at that point I had done a uh, Lupe Fiasco music video. Um, that, oh. was, uh, that was actually a big, a big kick for me just because he was one of my favorite rap. He's like, he was my favorite, you know, rapper at that time. Or, uh, rapper, but he was my favorite, like, music artist at the time. And, right. uh, you know, I just, I loved his music. And then all of a sudden I'm on set with him fighting him. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is pretty freaking cool. Yeah, I hope I don't um, hit him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, I remember when, you know, he came over and he, he came to all the guys there and he's just like, hey, so you guys have any ideas? And I, I just jumped up, my hand up to him. I was like, yeah, hey, I have an idea, idea. So I was the first one to come out and fight him. Uh, so it, it was like a sequence of like 10 people. And then because I was just like took the initiative, I was like, hey, I got, I got ideas. I'm going to do something. I was like super excited to be there. Uh, right. Yeah, I ended up being the first one on there. And I, I, I think I was the most visible in the music video too. Well, um, squeaky wheel gets the grease, I, I see. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but uh yeah like, but, you know finding finding myself into the stunt industry just kind of it kind of happened organically you know once i started working the first time and you know i'm I'm a pretty diligent guy i'm i'm, I'm very reliable i don't lie about the skills that i have and um yeah you know, everything like that and i just kept on training and everything like that you know it started you know gaining gaining a reputation for being reliable and and i think also since i have a very specific kind of look you know since i'm mixed race um there were a couple of different times when um, there just wasn't anybody else that was a available or b that looked similar to my height, build, and look. Um, right. So especially when a really a really big particular break, two big particular breaks that I had was one I uh, booked a like a kind of a, a role on the a show called The Originals where I played the brother of one of the of one of the main villains in one of the episodes. Yeah, I love the show. Or, well, a yeah. series of episodes. Yeah, and uh that was that was pretty big because I got to they flew me out to Atlanta and they put me up for like a month or two where we were just filming these episodes and that was so that kind of ingratiated me with a, a decent amount of people who were working out there and, and and gave me a little bit of clout. And then later on um when Daniel Henney joined the cast of Criminal Minds Beyond Borders, and I had I had done one day of doubling him on the show Revolution for Jeff Wolf in Texas, um, but because of that, I, I talked to uh, the stunt coordinator Greg Barnett on Criminal Minds Beyond Borders when that that started wow. up. And I was like, hey, you know, if you, I told him I was like, hey, uh, I have doubled him before. I don't, if you have somebody, I'd love to be an alternate. You know, thinking that like, you know, because I was still relatively knew and I didn't want to like you know step on anybody's toes but then he's like I don't have a double for him you're him now <laughs> and, and I was with him for two years two seasons and um and he also you know he gave me my first uh you know fight coordinator credit and you know I got to choreograph uh you know a, a big episode of, of the fight uh, the fight scenes in the big episode um this of the second season and um, so you know it you know just as I kept on going, I, I started gaining more and more exposure and started meeting better, uh, better and better people, like uh, not better people, but like higher, higher people in the industry. And, uh, you know, just building that reputation of being a honest and be 
um, reliable, I think, it really helped me, you know, throughout my career. And you worked on Agents of Shield, which is which is a, a big show. It's a it's a gigantic show. Uh, is, is that the part right. where you know what? Yeah, no, yeah. That funny thing about that actually is, uh, I got that from an email. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I I emailed the stunt coordinator uh, maybe like the week before I got that first time I worked on it, and um, I was like, hey, you know, I, I would love to work on the show, whatever. And and then he said, I think within like a day, he emailed me back. It's like, hey, well, you're hired. Do you want to come next week? And I was like. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And then I get on the <laughs> set and I talk to the people on there. And he's like, he never does that. How did you get this? Like, he never does that. It's it's crazy. I was like, I, I don't know. I guess I just got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, so, I really don't. I don't really believe in luck. You know, you know, I, I don't want to go too far into this conversation before I ask this because you're obviously alluding to it. But you know, it, when you're when you think about it, and I know you said many things about this, but when you think about it, what what is it about you? that makes people want to spend 10, 12, 16, 18 hours with you or send an email like this. I know you said it was about reliability and consistency and what have you, but there's got to be another, what you would call a genesis quoi, a, a quality that is kind of almost, you know, unimaginable or, or you really can't uh, articulate, but I'm pretty sure you can. Well, I mean, yeah, I think underlying it, all of it has to be the reliability and everything like that. Cause your reputation is everything in, in Hollywood, obviously. But um, as far as myself, you know, I, I do try to be very supportive of people and I, I try to, uh, you know, go out of my way to you know, let people know that I like them, you know? Uh, so I, I think that most people, they respond to that. I mean, and being, cool on set is going to be really important for anybody just because you can be the best in the world at something, but um, you're not going to be the best in the world at it for the rest of your life. And so right. if you're a total jerk to everybody, then, you know, once you're not the best right. anymore, then, you know, they really don't have a lot of incentive to use you. Not to mention, you know, this is movies. This isn't reality. So it's not like you have to go in and actually defeat, you know, the ball wrong or something like that. You just have to right. pretend to do so. So, so, I mean, really those kind of jobs, you know, obviously there are those jobs that only one person can do in the world, but for the most part, especially for film, I mean, with camera angles and being able to cheat certain things and special effects, I mean, really as you, you just have to be like, I think, um, you know, one of the, I can't, I can't remember her name, the lady from Shark Tank. One of the ladies from Shark Tank oh, said that it's yeah. like 80% is good enough, right? In business, right. 80% is good enough because that mm -hmm. last 20%, the, um, you know, the pursuit might not be worth what you, what, what you gain from it. Um, happens a lot with a lot of things in film. And may, maybe not, obviously not certain jobs, but for a lot of things in film, just because as long, as long as you're really, as long as you're competent at your job, you can get it done. It looks like pretty good and you're easy to work with, you're going to go far just because, you know, not every job is going to be the, those kind of jobs that you have to be that one person in the entire world that can do that thing. You know, I mean, if you're falling down, there's a lot of people that can fall down and they, and a lot of people that can make it look good. Now they're not going to just go with, you know, they're not going to just go with anybody though. So it's knowing that a lot of people can do 
a certain job, then they're obviously going to go with the person that they know is going to show up on time, is going to um, not bother everybody on set with being a diva, and is isn't going to like share a bunch of secrets about the show that nobody that the you know people don't want you to show, and also that are just going to be overall like happy that people are going to be happy to be working with them you know like then and also in the future Um, right i i think we've known each other for i mean i I don't know quite a long time and and the one thing that i've always known about you is you've never been overly excited overly excited you know whenever i meet you or talk to you 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 don't seem overly excited You, you just seem like you know you're cool relaxed you know and I, do you, do you, do you, you know what I mean? It's, you know, very, very casual, just like, hey, how's it going? You know, not, you're not like a dancing puppy or anything like that. You know, and a lot of people have a tendency to be that, you know, in the entertainment industry, you're always pretty cool. Um, well, I, think, uh, uh, I think sometimes I've gotten in my way, though, um, to be honest, because, you know, a lot of people, they do feed off of energy like that. But, you know, even right. when I was younger and I was doing these national competitions, um, you know, and stuff like that, my father would always look at me and like, you're not nervous or anything? I'm like, and obviously I was nervous and I was excited, but, like, something about me when I get into a high-stress situation or a, a high-excitement situation, I right. calm down. I become cool as a cucumber and I, I, I analyze everything. And I, I take it in, you know. I mean – I think you, you see me sometimes and I, I might seem like I'm very calm and like, you know, collected, but you know, inside right. I am and my mind's going a million miles an hour and uh, I am super excited. It's just uh, right. for me, my initial reaction to those kind of situations is just right. to get into myself, figure out what I'm doing, keep my mind about myself and then make sure that I'm, I'm ready to go whenever uh, a dime hits, whenever, whenever, you know, the gun goes right. off or something. So. Well, I think it has a lot to do with our, our martial art experience. You know, for me, when we were at the Chinese Grams Theater, uh, I remember our film got Best Horror Film. And I was talking to a director mm-hmm. at that time. And uh, they're calling me up there. I'm like, time ages go up. I'm talking to a director right now. Like, I don't, like, I, I don't get overly excited. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like nothing really satisfies me to a certain extent because, you know, martial arts and, and Buddhism and life is really about, uh, you know, quelling your expectations and, and just the pursuit is, and the journey is really the, uh, is really the reward more than the, you know, you know, getting so excited at the moment, especially with you martial arts. I mean, if you get so excited in the moment, you can't make that blow. You can't make that kata work. You can't make that movement. Uh, your energy needs to be sure. consistent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I, I, uh, I completely agree. I mean, I, I think that my personality and just my outlook in life and how I react to a lot of things is very much comes from my ground and just the way that the way of life that I've chosen to live. I mean, ever since I was ever since I started martial arts, I've just like, I decided that this is this is the way that I want to live my life. I don't want to, you know, I, the martial artist mindset of just you know constant improvement and always the pursuit of not 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 perfection, but like pursuit of it, you know, I think is, is, is worthy. And, uh, right. yeah, I mean, I, I love that way of life because it makes me feel very happy with whatever happens. Um, 
Right. You know, whether it's good or bad or neutral, I'm just happy to live there in the present and, and be experiencing it. Um, I had some of the, my favorite uh, stunt choreographers, stunt performers, from Haley to Amy to a lot of these really great people, um, really do think their martial art background uh, that have made them who they are today. And you can see it in the way mm-hmm. they perform and the way they act and the way they talk and the way they uh, perceive information. So it's an incredible thing. So when I, when I look, when I look at your, your resume and when I look at the, the, the things that you've done, it's pretty, it's pretty large and it's pretty, cons- I mean, consistently wildly high. Um, but I want to talk about Criminal Minds because I, I, I'm a huge fan of Criminal Minds. Uh, how did that come mm-hmm. along and, and how did that work out for you on that show? Uh, well, I first started off on Criminal Minds Beyond Borders. I think I told you about that just now the, uh, with Daniel yeah. Henney joining the cast. And That's because right. he's, you know, he's half Korean and, um, and I, I don't know, when we were on set together, you know, people would confuse me for him all the time because, you know, when we're all done up and wearing the same clothes, I mean, we have a similar skin complexions. We have similar, you know, similar build. And he's a little bit taller and skinnier than me. But I mean, for the most part, from especially from far away, you can't tell at all, which is it was perfect. Uh, I was a perfect double for him. Um, right. So I did that for two years, and then once Criminal Minds Beyond Borders got canceled, I contacted uh, the stunt coordinator for Criminal Minds, and I told him, I was like, hey, I was I was Daniel's stunt double on Criminal Minds Beyond Borders. Um, you know, I know he's moving over to the flagship. So if you, if you don't have somebody for him already, I would love to, you know, keep doing it. And, uh, yeah, and he, he brought me on and, uh, that was that. I mean, and the, for another three seasons of Criminal Mind, um, I, I was his double. He didn't, he, you know, he, it was a much larger cast and, uh, you know, so he wasn't doing as much, but, um, you know, every couple of episodes I was coming on and I got to hang out with Daniel. He's a really, really great guy. And, and then also just the, that particular show had been going on for so many seasons at that point, you know, they were all family. So it was really cool going in there and seeing, you know, when you go on a show that, has only been there for about maybe it's the first season or second season. A lot of times it's a little bit chaotic just because everybody's still, everybody had just gotten together so that, you know, they don't really know, they, they know each other and they maybe have worked on things before, but they're still getting used to that show particularly. Right. But then once you get past like, you know, fifth season, sixth season, seventh season, you know, and I think at Criminal Minds, wasn't that like the 13th or 14th season? I don't know. It, it was pretty far. <laughs> um, they they had it down to a well-oiled machine. I mean, like, you know, first, first season of shows, you know, I'll, you know, you can go out and be there for like, you know, 12, 13 hours a day. But then on these, on these kind of shows like Criminal Minds, I mean, you know, seven and a half hours, you're out. <laughs> you know, they, right. they, they have it down at like a well-oiled machine. They know when to bring you in, when to get you out. And, you know, you're not, if they're not searching for a lot of things, they're, they're maybe like this, we know what we're doing and it's a well-oiled machine. So it, it was really cool to be on that, that set. And uh, I'm really happy that, it, it worked out that Daniel moved over. I don't think I don't think a lot of people have this experience of you know being not involved in a show and then going to a show that pretty much establishes itself as a family, like in Criminal Minds. And you were just talking about that a couple of seconds ago. What, what are you know? What are the feelings when you go into a show like that? Is it is it happiness? Is it a little little fear? What, what, what's your interpretation of that? Oh well, I mean for me. Uh, 
I'm just happy no matter what set I'm at, even if it's a small set. I, I just enjoy the process in general. So I maybe I'm a bad person to ask that question just because for me it's it whatever set I'm going to, whether it's a big show or or a small show or whatever, I, I kind of come into it with the same mindset. Um, there have been a few there have been a, v, a few shows that I actually like watch pretty consistently that I've worked on, but very few. I mean, for the most part, there's so much content out there that, you know, it's really impossible to watch every show, like, as, as a huge fan. So, and a lot right. of the shows that I'm on are, you know, a lot of them are the police procedurals, kind of like criminal minds or, um, and stuff like that. So, you know, so, you know, one season could have 23 episodes. You're doing, it's just, it's, it's a lot of TV. So I, I can't be a fan of all of the stuff that I worked on. But, you know, <laughs> when I come on to that, even even if it is something that I was a big fan of, like when I worked on The Punisher, I mean, I was, I'm a huge fan of, of, of the Netflix Punisher series. Um, you know, it was, it was definitely surreal, but I still went into it the same way as I did any other job. I was there, you know, to do something in particular. I try to uh, compartmentalize a little bit. Like I'll keep my giddiness, you know, down into I'll, I'll feel it the next day or something like that. Like, I can't believe I just worked on that. But um, on the day, though, I try my best to just kind of put that aside and be like, look, all these people, are they're trying to do their job. I'm doing my job. And especially with stunts, because there is so much safety involved, um, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't have the luxury to be starstruck or anything like that because I have to right. worry about this, you know, this other guy hitting his head or I have to worry about myself not – uh, not hurting this other person, you know? I mean, even when, and they kind of, I don't know, this is a little bit, maybe a bit of an issue. This is the way I always tell, like, my actors when, I, when I'm when i doubling them. Because a lot of actors, you know, and, and rightfully so, they want to do they want to do some of their own stunts because, you know, they want to be in the character. But for me, I was like, well, look, and, you know, you don't have to worry about the lines. You have to worry about the emotions. You have to worry about the story and all these different things. I mean, I have to worry about those to a certain degree, but those are not to the same amount that you are. Now, you're not making your own clothes. You're not cooking your own food. So, you know, you don't need to do all of your own stunts, especially the really dangerous ones, because if you're in character and you're fighting this guy, you're trying to kill him versus if I come in there, I'm not trying to kill him. I'm trying to make sure he doesn't hit his head. But if, you're, if your character is worried about him hitting his head, then you're not in character. You're not doing your job. So that's why there's different departments. Let me, you know, let, let, this, let me come in there with stunts. And, you know, there's, there's so many things that can go wrong. My job is safety. Your job is the character. And, you know, if the right kind of training came about, then you could probably do my job and I could do yours. But right now, these are the departments that we're in today. Let's do our jobs and let, let's work as a team to make this character come alive, you know. And mm-hmm. so, you know, when you talk about, like, you know, going on to stead and trying to keep a, a, a good head about myself. And for me, I'm just, you know, I, I just know that there is so much writing on stunts specifically that, you know, somebody could die, I could hurt myself, I could destroy equipment, I could do any of that kind of stuff. So I need to keep my emotions in check and make sure that I am keeping safety as my utmost. Uh, I mean, obviously the performance is there, but like, you know, the safety of everybody being able to walk around, walk away and not damage anything, I mean, it is is hugely important for any stunt person to keep in mind, I think. You know, coming myself from a, a creative background as well, I've had maybe 35 of, of some of the greatest stunt performers, if not stunt choreographers on this show here. And that is the first time I've ever heard that analogy given about the difference between a performance and action and like the stunt choreography and the stunt work itself. And you're you're 100 percent right. I, I actually I feel a little stupid for never thinking about. It. I actually never thought about it that way. But that was incredibly insightful. You know, 
Um, did, you. Because you, you go ahead. No, I said uh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's just widely important. I, I try to tell as many people as I can about that, especially in the new new performers and also actors, because especially nowadays with you know, I think it started with Keanu Reeves, like, really training hard with 87-11 to make John Wick. And, you know, I have a huge amount of respect for that. And people, you know, should be able to do their own stunts to a certain degree. I just, you know, but, you know, the really big things that could possibly hurt somebody, I mean, at the very worst-case scenario, say, you know, I, I mean, say an actor hurts himself, or and maybe it's not even their fault. Maybe they're in a fight scene, but if somebody accidentally cuts their face, all of a sudden, right. now you have you know, 20, 30, maybe hundreds of people who are out of a job until your your face heals. I mean, you know, there, there's right. a lot riding on an actor being healthy and safe that if they were to hurt themselves doing something, maybe it's not even their fault, you know, it's something that they can, they can do all the time, but it's not even their fault and they, and they get hurt on set, then all of a sudden everybody's out of a job, you know? So there's a lot right. riding on it. And, and not just not just their safety, but, you know, people's livelihoods. <laughs> But but you're also making, uh, you know, a a hell of a lot of sense when you say, you know, as an actor, and I've never been an actor. I'm a writer, director, and executive producer myself. I I have zero desire to act ever. I mean, I have a face Mm. for radio, which is why we're not Skyping this. this, You know what I mean? Which is exactly why we're not Skyping this conversation right now. But um, you're you're 100% correct that, you know, an actor's job is to be in the moment, to be fully intent and and sincere about their action and yes you're right in that fight they want to kill that person i mean that's that's their desire that's their feeling like they're they're fighting for their lives and uh, you're 100 percent correct that a, a stunt person can or some performer can easily come in there and go like okay i can i can take away that emotional content for you and make it look fantastic and then you come back in and give them that emotion mm-hmm. again. Of course, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think you know, as a, as a director myself, you know, I, I I think it's very important that you know actors should be able to do whatever they want to do in the in the safest portion of of the action possible. I mean, if they can do a certain amount of the action themselves, great. I mean, that that's that's awesome. But at the same time, if there is a aspect of it where you know they have to be in charge of somebody else's safety when their character isn't their character in the story isn't worried about that person's safety then yeah i mean it's not helping anybody to keep them in there and have them you know keep both of these hats on when when their job is to be this character who is trying to kill people or trying to right. you know protect them protect themselves in a certain way you know so um yeah right. i mean it, it just it just makes sense to me I, I am an actor you know and for me if I were to get like a really, really, really meaty role um, with a lot of action in it, I mean, I would have a stunt double myself. I mean, I'm not, I'm not too proud to, to, to do that because, I mean, what am I there for? Am I there to be the character or am I there to do the action? Um, right. And I know that it can seem like you need to do both, but for the most part, I mean, if it's a very dangerous stunt, put somebody else in there that doesn't have to worry about the lines and doesn't have to worry about the emotions and just has to fall off of a building and, and make sure that, you know, the other person that's falling with them doesn't break their neck. You know what I mean? Right. Well, this is what, this is what I, I've always loved about you. And this is why I wanted to have you on the show is that you're incredibly insightful. You're very, very smart. 
and uh, you know, you you're, you stick your your hands into into every pie, you know, writer, director, producer, uh, stunt choreographer, stunt performer, um, you know, professional martial artist, and what have you. So you 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 have done an incredible amount of work, and really, I would say a short a short amount of time because you're not by any means old. Um, so you know, it, it's very it's very awesome to hear some, and I mean that in the biblical term, it's very awesome to hear somebody come up with some brand new content. I'll be honest with you, brand new content, brand new honesties, brand new ways of seeing things. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you've always been an amazing person, man. I appreciate that. You make my head super big right now. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 you, you've, earned it i wouldn't say deserve it but you've definitely earned it so let's let's go back into your resume here so what happened with bad in the sun so we you and i both know aaron shanky and, and the family what have you how did that relationship start there um you know i was working what was i working on? i can't remember what i was working on but i i was doing uh some other project and then i got a call from aaron and saying that one of his friends had found me, I think maybe on social media or something like that, and thought that I'd be a really good Goku for, um, because he wanted to do Goku versus Superman for his super, his uh, show, Superpower Beatdown on YouTube. Um, and that, that never, that never materialized because once we started getting into it, it really started becoming very apparent that there would need to be wire work. And in order to get the kind of like, you know, in-air fighting that, that is in there, take a lot of special effects that he wasn't ready for yet. And um, it, just, it was just too big of a idea to yeah. shoot on, on, uh, at where he was with that so at that point. Um, so we kind of cooled off on that for a while. And then later on, uh, his friend Alex Kellerman create, uh, wrote a short, a short piece where um, Scorpion – jumps out of the television and chases him through his apartment building, which is, you know, hilarious. So Aaron hit me up. He's like, Hey, I have this, have this, you know, awesome costume for Scorpion. And, you know, we have this short film that we want to shoot. You want to come over and do it? And I was like, yeah, it sounds like fun. So, and I, and so I went over there and we, we shot the thing. It turned out amazing. Um, and while I was wearing this costume, cause it was a, a full leather battle ready Scorpion costume that just looked wow. beautiful. Um, and it, on the back, it was even signed by Ed Boone. And I guess the, the, the guy who made it, it was a, he was in um, Orange County. And he saw Ed Boone at, like, something, and he was wearing the costume. And Ed Boone told him, like, this is the best costume I've ever seen. And he, and he actually signed the back of it. So if you look, That's amazing. The, um, if you look in the actual uh, short film, Scorpion versus White Ranger, on uh, the Superpower Beatdown uh, series, you get, like, there's a quick uh, – shot of it as I'm walking towards uh, the, the 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 girl about to like you know kind of attack her and uh, you can see Edward's right. signature on the back of it <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, when when we shot the other short film where we, you know I was just chasing the guy through his apartment building you know I was kind of sitting in his apartment and he has a lot of these action figures around and I and I saw I was like you know it'd be kind of cool it's like what, what about like uh, having a superpower beatdown with you know, Scorpion and the White Ranger and he's like, yeah, maybe, you know, it was like, it was kind of, right. and then later on, um, 
I think maybe it clicked with him again, and then he, he came back. He's like, yeah, actually, you know, this is a good idea. And at the time, I was working on another project called Grace and Earth One, and Alvin mm-hmm. Singh was working on it with me, and we were kind of, you know. Oh, good old both, Alvin. Uh, yeah, good old Alvin. And, uh, yeah, we we, uh, we were working on that, sh- that, that thing and, you know, putting fights together and whatnot. So when that happened, I – um, I, I asked him, I was like, hey, you know, we're thinking about Scorpion versus White Ranger. You think that you want to come on this with me? He's like, yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I got him on board, and then me and, me and uh, Alvin talked to Aaron, and, you know, we decided that me and Alvin were going to come up with the, the fight choreography for the piece. And then um, we, we came up with a bunch of ideas. We did the, like, we saw the location with Aaron, and, he, and then we kind of showed him what our choreography ideas were. And then right. he tweaked it here and there, and then all of a sudden we were shooting it. And, it, and then, and then uh, when, once we finished it, it turned out so great, and he showed it to Jason David Frank, and Jason was like, this is awesome. So he decided to put his face in it, and he decided to put his his, his uh, following behind it. And then it kind of just blew up from there. And I mean, I think within the first, I want to say, like, day or two, it, it already had reached, like, a million views or maybe, like, three million views. I don't know. I think those those, like those episodes really get high really fast. It's incredible. Oh, sure. Well, yeah. you know, and I think, I think at that point, you know, the, the episodes were obviously doing pretty well, but um, that one was definitely the, I think, the one that really start like kicked off it into a, like a, a really high gear where right. um, the superpower beatdown got really popular, and then we did the Rio versus right. Green Ranger one, and Jason David Frank really like he actually fought me in that one, like like him himself. So um, yeah, I mean, I think everything kind of just snowballed from there, and then and obviously now. Now we have the uh, um, the Legacy Wars, uh, you know, short film that we created, you know, with uh, Chun Li and R- Ryu becoming the Ryu Ranger and everything like that. Um, right. And you know, because Lion- Lionsgate got jumped in on that. So I mean, it just kind of snowballed from there, I think. But you know, I like to think that we really took the choreography up to a different kind of. Uh, martial arts level that it hadn't reached yet in that series and that the audience really appreciated. Right. I agree with you. I, you know, I've always loved the episodes myself and gone to cons and have been on the set uh, of, of with bad and the sun for, for a lot of these episodes and done photography for them as well. But you know, these episodes are, are amazing episodes and, and something you wouldn't expect from YouTube content, especially these days. Mm-hmm. I don't think people put that much production to value anymore into into the, the the youtube content they everybody's trying to make a feature film but you know they prove it's very obvious that there is still a a, a viewership for this kind of content right. mm-hmm. but, yeah but you've always done a wonderful job there so let's move on to uh to uh, forever purge because i never watched the other purge films but i did watch forever purge mm-hmm. I, I have no idea why Actually, I do know why. I, I, I took a I took a date to go see the film. <laughs> so well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I do know why. I remember, I remember when I was a little boy. I, I took uh, I was 15 years old, and I took a, or I think 14 or 15. I took a date to go see Die Hard. And uh, okay. you know, I I think the only mistake I ever made was taking a, a date to go see Do the Right Thing. I think oh, that was the right. only okay. mistake. Yeah, because it was so racially. 
motivated, so racially like tense. Like you walk out of that movie. I mean, it could, it could be a hit or miss depending on uh, your date. <laughs> I know. Well, it was a miss. <laughs> it was a oh, miss okay. well, because that person's like, you know what? I got to think about this movie for a while. I'm like, oh, God. do you really have to? Like seriously, do you really have to think about it? <laughs> but, uh, it's like, damn, I made a mistake right there. Uh, but the Forever Purge, we, I mean, that was a really good film and, and a far, uh, you know, uh, departure from the original films. Uh, how did you get involved in that mm-hmm. film and how did you feel about, feel about being on that set? Especially like, I believe it's the fourth film in a series. Right. Well, actually, you know, it was, I was booked on that, like a, I booked on a lot of other, uh, you know, a lot of other shows that I've worked on. Um, I was just, I was, uh, what is it called? I, I was, I don't know, kind of like searching for my next job. And then I got a call from the stunt coordinator and he said, Hey, you know, I, uh, we're doing reshoots for the, pur- for this purge movie and, uh, would like to see if you're available during this time. And I said, yeah, that sounds like I'm available. That sounds awesome. And it, it turned out to work out perfectly is right in the middle of COVID too. So, you know, obviously we, we did all of the different, um, Things, but the, the movie was already shot though. By the time I joined on, it, we, I actually did the reshoots because I guess the final fight scene inside of the uh, inside of this like cabin that, that we were shooting that the uh, that it took place in, um, they weren't quite happy with it. They wanted it to be a little bit more brutal. They wanted it to be uh, more dynamic. So um, so they just they wanted to reshoot that thing. So they they had a they rented out a studio here in LA and and we just uh, we got through it. We, we can't, um, you know, the, the spell coordinator was really awesome that he, we kind of all got to put in our input with, uh, with everything. And, and then, uh, you know, shot the previs, got the okay from the studio, then came back and, uh, they, uh, glued a bunch of yak hair on my face to, to match the actor <laughs> and, uh, put, put a wig on me because my hair was long at that point. And then, yeah, it stuck in there. And it's actually kind of funny because when I watched the movie, um, I looked and, you know, sometimes they'll try to like cut back and forth between the actor and the stunt double, like depending on right. uh, you know the thing. And you know, a lot of times, I actually don't like that, just because um, they're, they're cutting up the action too much usually right. when they do that. Right. But it's the, almost like a, whole, a like a feature whole... of Liam Neeson film where it's like you know he's a. I mean, I, I don't want to. I love Liam Neeson. I don't want to bag on him, but you know, yeah, I, one like of his films. Film... going over the fence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> where he's jumping over the fence and there are like nineteen cuts, and I'm like, can you please just get over the fence? Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, I mean, but in that fight though, I noticed that like I could definitely see. I mean, I think it's just because I knew it was me, but like I can definitely see that it's me, and they didn't cut away from me either. So like the whole sequence in that um, little, little cabin area, um, yeah, they 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 used me. So well, it, I guess I must have done something right, or maybe the other <laughs> shots didn't work out. I'm not really sure. <laughs> well, I, you know, it, it has a lot to do with with. Um with look, feeling, consistency, and what have you. I mean, as you know, but that, well, that's, yeah. thing that's an amazing thing that, that people believe in you so much. And they input from you as well. Um, that's a very open set where they take input from you. What do you want to do? I mean, that's not – I mean, we're about to talk about Suicide Squad, so they wouldn't do that in Suicide Squad. Yeah, well, I mean, the – coordinator that was on there i mean he was very much um he he was just very open to everybody uh putting in their input i mean i I think he did that because he 
uh, trusted the team that he brought on. I mean, uh, I actually, you know, when I, I don't think it was the first time I met him, but you know, one of the main times that I worked with him was actually on Suicide Squad, and that's what where he hmm. knew me and that he brought me on for the for that thing. And his name is Adam Hart. I mean, he wasn't the stunt coordinator for the whole movie; he was just for the reshoots. Right. But um, right. yeah, he, he's an amazing performer himself. And yeah, I know Adam Hart. Awesome yeah, work. he's great. Yeah, he's really awesome guy. And uh, he, but he since since he knew me from Suicide Squad, then he he knew that he needed a double for this guy. He uh, he reached out and. Um, but yeah, he, he was just, he was very open. Obviously, you know, he had the final say for everything and he put the whole scene together and everything like that. But, um, the fact that he was open to suggestions and open to like this, that, whatever. And they're like, and if we came up with something like, Hey, what, is, what about this? And he, he was very much into it, you know? So, um, I like, I love that collaborative kind of work. I mean, it doesn't have to be that way on a set for it to be successful. I mean, I, I've been on plenty of sets where it wasn't collaborative at all. They're just like, this is what you're doing. Do it exactly like this. And that's, that's what right. fine. If they have a vision right. that, that they, they want to stick to, then great. Um, but I do right. love it when I do get a little bit of input just because, um, I feel like it it allows me as an artist to not just expand myself, but then also to um, collaborate with the other artists there, and all of us feel like we we own a piece of it more at that point. Right. I feel. Well, tell me about the Suicide yeah, yeah. Squad, which is which is the no no. Please finish your sentence. Oh no, I, I was just kind of reminds me of the idea of um, there's a metaphor that I like to say is like a. I like being the paint, but sometimes I want to be the painter, you know. And mm. uh, during those times, I mean, obviously, I'm not the I'm not the painter because he's, you know, the the coordinator is the one that puts everything together. But you know, being able to as being part of the paint, <laughs> be like, hey, what about a stroke here? What about a stroke there? I mean, I think that is highly rewarding for everybody involved. Well, that that you know, that's a great <laughs> again. That's a great metaphor. Um, you know, going going into the Suicide Squad, which is, I think, the primary reason why most of us got HBO Max. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. And I, <laughs> that movie was sincerely one of the best films I've seen in a very, very long time. And, uh, you know, yeah, it, it, really you know, I don't want to wipe away the original size, Suicide Squad, but, I mean, this, be, that, this beat it by like a thousand degrees where I would say like 99.9%. Uh, so, you know, how was it like working on that? I mean, you're working with gigantic stars. You're working on one of the best directors that is working today. And, uh, you know, he, he's one of the very few directors that is able to jump from DC to Marvel, which, which you've done yourself, mm-hmm. you know, working on, you know, Superpower Beatdown and, and what have you, working in the DC world and the anime world, the Marvel world. So that's what you're working on in the Suicide Squad with a director and, and a cast like that. What does is, what is it, it feel like seeing your career at the very, very beginning, you know, being in Ohio and, and, and you know, training martial arts and, and, and then being in the Suicide Squad, which is, I, I think, the number one most watched film, other than the Justice League film, uh, Snyder Cut, watched on HBO Max. Um, you know, it, it was awesome. I, I, I love James Gunn's work on um, uh, the Guardians movies and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, for me to be there, and I mean, I didn't really get to talk to him specifically because, you know, it's such a big movie. I think that movie was like, what, $200 million or something like that. Huge sets, green screens everywhere. And, and, and then, the, but also the, the practical sets that, 
not practical, but the sets that they created were just amazing to witness. Um, but, you know, there's so many moving parts that, you know, being there, it was very surreal in, in the sense that, you know, I was doing a pretty big gag there, you know, this big explosion where, I mean, there's 10 of us. And for that one specifically, um, I, I almost got injured pretty bad on it. So, um, you know, there was, there was a little bit of, uh, of nerves when it came to that, but, um, I don't know. I mean, being on, being on that set, I mean, it was, it was really cool. That's not the first time I had been on a set with that, that big of a budget and, um, that, that big of a a cast and everything. But, um, but you know, whenever I go into those, it's very humbling to know that like, you know, I'm just a a very small piece of like a very huge team. You know, Um, I wasn't one of the main doubles or anything like that. So I was only there for a couple of different sequences. Like when the explosion, happened outside of the big um it's not like a temple i don't think but i forget what it is it's just a big explosion oh it's the high rise where star was being held right exactly that place and then um you know but also i did the the margot robbie scene where she is uh spinning around shooting a bunch of people i'm one of the guys get shot oh inside Um, the inside the uh the place where uh the prison she's with her uh what the uh, supposed lover right Right, yeah, inside the prison, and she escapes and, like, is spinning around shooting a bunch of people. I'm one of the guys that gets shot. Um, so being part of those two sequences, you know, it was great. I mean, it was about about two week, two or three weeks of work there. But, um, but yeah, I mean, as much rehearsals went into it, and, you know, the, the crew out there in Atlanta, they're, they're all great, you know. Um, and just, I had so many friends that were working on there, too. Like, it, it was a lot of fun, in, even in between shots, because you just kind of, like, you know, you're just shooting it and, you know, joking around with each other and, and uh, talking about, you know, the families and, uh, you know, what their plans are for the next year and, you know, what the next job is and what the previous job was and that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, it's just a lot of it, you know, as, as hard of a work as it, as, it, as it was because, you know, we did put a lot of hard work into it. Um, you know, it was a lot of fun. I, I, had a, I had a great time with everybody that was there and, and especially being able to uh, meet, uh, a lot of new people as well that I hadn't met before. Right. Like Margot Robbie or, or Idris Elba and what have you. Well, you know, I, I, like, again, I didn't meet uh, Margot. Um, I got shot by her, but, you know, I, I talked to her stunt <laughs> double a little bit. Um, but uh, it, it, she was on set. It's just, you know, when you're on set and these people are around, I mean, like everybody's doing a job, you know, and, and uh, it, Part of the reason, you know, part of the thing, a reason why usually they bring some people on is because we're not going to be those guys that go up there and be like, "Hey, can I get you on? I want a picture." You know, I'm not, I'm not going to bother her um, unless, you know, and if I'm working it in the actual scene with her, like uh, on a more intimate level, um, then, then you know, we'll probably have more of a conversation. But I'm right. not going to go out of my way to like, you know, go to the green room and and find her and be like, "Hey, I love you in this. Let me talk to you about that." I wouldn't. <laughs> I know? wouldn't think that's your. Per- I wouldn't think that's your personality. <laughs> but you know, Haley Wright usually doubles her. Was you know, mm-hmm. did Haley Wright work on that film? I believe the person that uh, the, the the double that day was Ingrid. Um, oh, Ingrid, yeah. No, I know her. I remember yeah. her last day or something. Um, but yeah, I think she was she was doubling her that day. But Margot, she was so good. I mean, she was a dancer, uh, you know, previously, so right. um, she picked up on the choreography very well. Um, you know, obviously right. Ingrid was 
was, you know, doing a lot, doing a lot of stuff as well. But, you know, Margot, you know, she's one of those actors. She likes to be physical and she likes to get in and get in the scene and do it. And right. uh, especially when she's like spinning around doing that gun thing, you know, just like, you know, you could, you could count it off as like, and a one, and a two, and a three, and a four, you know? So she right. was able to be like, okay, I, point, I spin here, point the gun here, spin here, point the gun there, 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 you know? And she got it down really quick, and it was, it was very, actually very impressive. She, she does an amazing job uh, with her physicality. Well, the scene that she did where she picked the lock with her toes, uh, she did that one take with her toes, and they actually yeah. had to splice it because they almost didn't believe. I mean, they wouldn't think that the audience would believe that she can actually do that. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, well, I watch, I, you know, I'm a total dork, so I watch the, the, um, the background, uh, you know, because an HBO Max, it gives you, like, uh, extra footage and what have you right afterwards, and he was talking about yeah, it, and I'm like, that is, yeah. yeah, that's nuts. Like, I, I, <laughs> I would never, I, I wouldn't expect anybody to be able to do that, but, I mean, she's an incredible, you know, actress, producer, you know, a, you know, creator and what have you. So it's, it's gotta be a great pleasure to work with a human being like that. Oh yeah. No, she, she was great. I mean, I, like I said, I didn't really have a, any one-on-one time with her, but um, from what I saw and said, I mean, she was very sweet and she picked up on everything really well and she's a hard worker. And uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, being on a James Gunn set was very pleasurable just because everybody was having a great time every, all right. the time, you know, no matter what, day it was how long the hours we were doing or whatever i mean everybody had a great attitude and was having fun i mean and, that, and that's the biggest thing that you can ask for on any set is just everybody's having fun i, I don't get I, i've met some people that like they they get they're grumpy about the film industry and like whatever i'm just like i don't understand how they could feel that way just because i mean right well one we're playing Disney for a living i mean you know you're you're a professional pretender i mean how serious can you really be about it, you know? <laughs> You're lying for you're lying for an existence. I mean, how 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 bad is that of a life? Yeah, I mean, I'm playing cops and robbers for you know for a living. I mean, I, I, I can't be <laughs> I can't. I mean, obviously, I want to be serious about it because there's a lot of safety involved. So I take that right. very seriously. But you know, as far as like an attitude and stuff goes, like I, I don't understand some people who can be angry that they're on set or like they're. Um, you know, they're kind of like mad about something like, you know, unless it's something completely unreasonable that I you know, completely understand. But I mean, there are some people that just have that attitude. Maybe, and I think those are the people that like, you know, we've talked about before that, you know, maybe they got into it thinking that they liked it, but then found out later that it's not really something that they really like that much, you, you know, you know, I'll, I'll, like they I'll thought it was you, you know, thing. well, go ahead and finish your story. Mm-hmm. Oh no! That was a, just you know somebody that thought they found their calling, but then later on finds out that 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 it's the last thing that they like to do. So. <laughs> you mean like you mean like uh, meeting somebody, falling in love, and then immediately going like, did I just make a mistake? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, the regrets. <laughs> yeah, I remember the my acting teacher. I remember my acting teacher when I first came. I, I did a Meisner program for three years uh, when I first came to Los Angeles. Oh, Meisner. Nice. Yeah, one, one thing he said was, is like, this industry is a very demanding and unforgiving mistress. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, you're, it's, I, I, I understand why, you know, now being in a while, I understand why a lot of people have a hard time in their, in their relationships because, you know, it's long hours, and especially if you're traveling, it's, you have to be away 
and um, it can be grueling, you know. Um, but at the same time, like you know, those practical things aside, I mean, it it is so much fun that you just are so compelled to give up all of your time for it just because of how much fun and how rewarding it is when you're, you know, when, when everything's all said and done. So, I mean, one of those things, I guess. Hello? Is that Yeah. Yeah, no, we're right here. I mean, I don't know. I, I think that it's a lot of fun being in the film industry. Um, you know, as yeah. I, you know, get older and eventually I'm going to want to have a family and, and whatnot of my own, I, I can see how it could be uh, pretty difficult to uh, figure out the work-life balance, especially since, you know, these projects, they only last for a couple of months or maybe years at the most, um, and then you're done. So, you know, everybody has a very, um, a lot of pressure to, you know, make things, uh, get things done when you're on the set and when you're doing it. And it's not like money is, um, you know, unlimited for you know, some, some of these projects that can seem like there's money on unlimited, but at the same time, it's just, you know, everybody, ha- everything has to happen at a certain time and there's a certain budget because there are investors that do want their money back eventually. <laughs> so, right. Um, right. You know, have fun, but also make sure that you do a good job. Yeah. Well, we're, we're quickly running out of time. I'm looking forward to seeing you have a family and children so we can have another conversation about how you're juggling those you know, that, that <laughs> world itself. Um, but uh, let's go on to you know, quickly. What, what is your next project that you're working on? What is, what can we look forward to? I actually was just a um, villain on the show NCIS Hawaii that will be airing uh, a two part episode in a couple of weeks. I, I that has to take a look, but it's episodes 12 and 13 on the show. Um, I think they're coming up here pretty soon, either at, at the end of this January, early this, uh, early February. Um, right. And that one should be pretty cool. Um, I, I got to film out in Hawaii, which is always amazing. Um, right. And the crew was awesome. It's the first season of that show, but, um, you know, We'll we'll see how people like my character, um, but that that you see, you seem to have a too. real connection with the the NCIS world. Uh, well, NCIS before this, I, I did work on the flagship NCIS um, sh- show. Uh, I right. had I was a, a, a victim that was found in a barrel <laughs> for one of the shows, <laughs> and then uh, just a, just a random goon in another one. Um, but right. then, yeah, this is the this is the first time that I've been cast as like a a character character though. So right. Um, well, I, well, actually, no. The one that I found in a barrel, I was a character. I just they find me dead at the very beginning of the episode. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I you know I was a character, but I was in a coma. I mean, that's not a big deal, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, but th- so that's that's gonna be coming out. But, but personally, though, I just finished a screenplay that I'm pretty excited about. Um, I've been getting some really great coverage on it with uh, different kind. Of, you know, there's these different sites like we we screenplay and uh, short scripts and that kind of stuff where they you can pay to get right. coverage on your films, uh, which I like to do because a lot of times if I give it to a friend, even if it's like a you know a, like a friend that's like quote unquote no BS. 
um, you know, they, there's always still there's something they're trying not to, they're trying to keep my life in perspective. They're trying to keep, you know, everything in perspective. I, I do like the somewhat anonymous notes that I can pay for just because I, sometimes I feel like there's, there's like no, no punches, you know, withheld. Um, so, you know, in some of the covers I've been getting has been really great um, for this, for this piece. It's a short sci-fi feature. I, w- I would like to be able to uh, direct and star in it myself. Um, and I wrote it specifically to be very, very small budget. Even though it's a science fiction, it all takes place in one location. And, and um, right. uh, the basic, the log line is uh, a man um, practices for a upcoming date with his dream girl by using simulations that are indistinguishable from reality and through the process slowly loses his mind. So it, it, I think it's very current because, you know, we have things about the metaverse and also, um, you right. know, virtual reality. And, and uh, it deals with social media. It deals a little bit with cryptocurrencies. It, it deals with, uh, um, like, masculinity. And it deals, you know, in, in the different pitfalls that, you know, that, that comes with. And also it, um, misogyny, you know, um, and hmm. manipulation and love versus lust. I mean, it, it deals with a lot of things that, you know, I had – I think in every every person has has struggled with in their life, and I feel like it, it kind of speaks to that while keeping it in a a, a near future science fiction world of something that very, is very possible that we can do. I mean, the whole idea it's, it's called simulation, and it is based off of the theory about simulations. It's kind of like the thing with Matrix is that we all live in a simulation, and uh, the whole idea is that you know we. We, once we create these simulations that are indistinguishable from reality, which is we're coming very close to, then the simulations with the, 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 char- the, the people within those simulations can make their own simulations. And then so if you're really creating these worlds, then chances are that we actually live in a simulation just because what is the chances that we live in the one base reality, right? So if you have – if you're creating simulations and then those simulations can create simulations, then there are literally billions of simulations out there. So, and there can only be one base reality. So if you're a betting man, then what are the chances that you're in the one base reality versus all the simulations that you wouldn't be able to know that you're in if you're in it? Right. Yep. Well, if you, if you, if you, if you believe, <laughs> no, no, I mean, listen, if you believe in anything in quantum mechanics or quantum physics, then it, it all makes sense to you. I mean, it's all, it's all mm-hmm. based on, on that perspective. You know, a lot of people who've almost died or had close to death connections, and I have had one myself, when, when you wake up from that experience, you do believe that you shifted reality, that you were in mm-hmm. one reality at that moment, and then the experiment or the experience that you went through agitated the atoms around you so much or maybe you died and you shifted reality. So, I mean, you know, hey, listen, to the people who are listening, I'm not crazy. <laughs> just, just type that in in YouTube and you'll find that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of near-death experienced pe- human beings who've experienced that one thing. That when they've died, which, which I did, when you died and then you wake up, you, you feel like you're living a, a brand new life, which is why a lot of people have euphoria. So I understand exactly what you're talking about. I understand this new new idea of the matrix. I don't think it's far fetched from from what I'm talking about. I'll be honest with you. 
Yeah, no, I think that it. I think that's just where it's where we're going. I mean, I mean, Facebook just changed their name to Meta, right? And the metaverse is becoming a thing. And you know, a lot of people think that cryptocurrencies is just about money, but it really, cryptocurrencies is about owning part of the network. You know, Web point Web one o was, you know, going to a page and just reading whatever's on there. Web two point o was that you can create a blog and create your own pages, right? You, you can make something on a network, but still a centralized network, and then. Web 3.0, which is cryptocurrency, is about owning a piece of that network, right? So it's not, not now that you're not just uh, putting your website on, on the Google servers, but you're actually owning a piece of the, of the Google network, but not Google, right. though, but other, other networks that now created, you know? And that's a very big thing that a lot of people, I don't think, understand completely, that it, it, since it's in its nascency right now. And... You know, moving forward, I think that I, I, I really wanted to write a story. The reason why I wrote it is because I wanted to write a story that kind of captures, you know, what effects it's going to have on our own person personalities and the way right. that we deal with other people and how we can slowly kind of make ourselves go crazy like we have with social media already because right. we're in a – not only in the future – in this kind of future that I'm writing about, it's not, not just a, a little – world that you've created for yourself on your Instagram or your Facebook or, or whatever, but now you're actually transporting yourself into that world. It's right. not on a screen anymore, but it's actually all around you, at least perceivably all around you because your, your mind is jacked into the system, right? Right. So, I think there's a lot of pitfalls that we're going to have to navigate as a society and as individuals. You know, I, I think a lot of it is going to be individually because these feedback loops that we're uh, seeing right now with um, a lot of misinformation and, and things that are, are on you know on either side of the aisle, whichever whatever your politics are, you know there's misinformation everywhere, and um, a lot of it's intentional, you know maybe from like state actors and whatnot too. So um, and that's going to only get worse just because information is so much more freely available. So as right. that happens, you know how are we going to cope with that? Because as a, as a layman, I mean you're. As, as a regular person, you're, just, you're not going to be privy to all the information. You're not going to be able to filter out all the misinformation like perfectly. There's, there's no way anybody can. And then when you're creating these little networks within yourself, like say like you create a simulation that you, you control completely, then how are you going to protect yourself from yourself? Right. You know, so um, I can think we, this can we get a, a title very important with topic. This uh, it's called simulation. Yeah. And uh, oh. I – I think I think uh, I think it's going to be pretty good. I, you know, the covers I've been getting is, is really nice. I actually, like I said, I, I, I sent in for coverage from this one, and, and there's an ex executive that um, you know they, they don't tell you who the people are, but they give you their background of who they are. You know, and right. I was I was trying to get you know him to tear it apart, and then he you know gave me back like a whole bunch of notes just saying like. Uh, don't change anything. Just make this, make it now. <laughs> like, okay. well, <laughs> well, that's a nice thing. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's and very I nice. I even sent him another one of my scripts. I even sent him another one of my scripts to like see if maybe he's just like a very complimentary dude. And the other one he tore apart. Like he's just like, no, this is wrong. This is wrong. You need to do this, this, and whatever. You know. But um, but yeah, I mean, so uh, 
and, and that's not the only he's not the only person obviously uh, is a he or she actually it could have been a, a woman too um but you know I've, I've gotten a lot of other people reading it and they're just like yeah this is a really really inter- really cool story and and i think the main thing too is that especially in the in the current like pandemic setting that we have with the, with the film industry i mean it's a it's a one location it's a very small cast very minimal special effects even though it's a science fiction and uh very dialogue and there's no action at all i i i didn't make an action movie it's, it's it's a straight science fiction dialogue thriller kind of movie and um you know so i i could really shoot this on a very shoestring budget um and the main thing for me is that i i don't mind doing that i mean i want to make my first feature but on the other hand if i am able to make it bigger and bring in some heavier people that might be able to help me with distribution or something like that. I mean, all the more reason to get it out there because I think that it also has a lot of um, messages in it that um, are pertinent to our our society today. That's awesome. I, I'm looking forward to seeing that. You know, when, when yeah, well, we're talking, I, I, right? I can send it to you if you ever want to read it. So. <laughs> no, I want to. I want to read it. Send it to me right after. Right after this, I, I, I absolutely 100% want to read this. Um, so okay. we're about to cl- we're about to close out right now. I mean, I really do appreciate you also sending your 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 film. You know, when we saw each other at, at the at the Chinese theater, you also sent me that that film uh, early on, and uh, asked my opinion. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, that's that that's always a great thing when people. You know, it's always an honor when people send you those kind of things and and ask your opinion because people can be brutal, <laughs> brutal, and a lot mm-hmm. of it can come straight from ego and competition. Where they're like, you know, I don't sure. like it because, you know, it somehow infringes on my, you know, my ego and, and uh, yeah, I would change this. But some people would just right. be honest, be like, you know, like this wasn't really consistent that I, I really don't, I really don't get what you're, I've had some of the greatest people. And unfortunately, one of the most consistent thing people have said to me was, I, I don't get what you're trying to say. And that, mm-hmm. and that really, it really broke my heart, but it really made me change as a writer when I was very, very young from being somebody who wrote a diary. So that's basically mm-hmm. what I was writing, which is a diary, which is what I, what I can understand to something that a mass yeah. audience could understand. Mm-hmm. So that, that was, that's the great thing about, you know, sharing your information with other people, not being afraid they can steal it. Cause quite honestly, nobody can do what you do. Nobody can create what you can create. And even if you give them the, 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 gray, the, the gray notes of what you're doing, they can't do what you can do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean everybody, everybody's different for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I realized that really early on too, because there's a lot of people um, in, as performers, they start thinking like, Oh, I have all this competition. Cause you know, there's so many people in the industry and they want to, it's like, unless somebody looks exactly like you talks like you, you know, the exact same genetic makeup as you and, you know, says the lines exactly the same way and have all the same life experiences as you. Like, there's nobody that can be you. So, um, and with film, I mean, if it's reflecting, you know, reality, then there's going to be, you know, all sorts of people in those realities, right? Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, being a performer helped me early on to kind of be okay with just being, being like, well, you know, I – I don't mind sharing. I, I want to get the input and, um, you know, anybody that wants is willing to take a look, I'm, I'm willing to listen. And, you know, I'll, I'll take what they say to heart, obviously, but um, it's not going to change how I, how I think or about it. I might, I might just, 
you know, again, take the best from everybody and then just see what resonates with me and then uh, make it right. my own. Well, before we yeah. go, I want to talk to you a little bit about your, your TikTok account, which, which a lot of stunt people, <laughs> a lot of performers <laughs> have got into. And, and a lot of people on the other side are afraid to get into. It was interesting to go into one of your posts, which, you know, you know, I, I always get like a, a high response con, you know, count, but you know, where somebody goes, uh, I, I was like, this is great work. And they're like, this, this isn't him. This isn't him. <laughs> and I didn't respond because like, you're an idiot. Of course it's him, but I didn't respond, but I thought it was very amusing that, you know, you know, it's TikTok. It's it's a brand new way of communicating. I mean, I would say a brand new way of communicating, but it is a very, it is the future before the new future, right? You know, like in five years from uh, now, nobody's going to be talking about TikTok. Somebody's going to be talking about like Micmac, and TikTok's going to be like the new uh, Instagram. You know what I mean? It's just constantly going to move yeah. forward. What, what brought you to what brought you over to TikTok and were there any feel, uh, fears or, or kind of like trepidations? Uh, to be honest, my, my girlfriend's really into TikTok. Like she spends probably too much time on it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, she, she, she really likes watching it. And they're, they're really funny, you know. I'm like, I, I, I am a little bit weary just because I have heard some like weird things about um, like, like who owns TikTok and all that kind of stuff. But right. um, on the other end of it though, like as an entertainer, I mean, my life is, is pretty public. I mean, there's not, obviously there's a lot of stuff I keep off of social media, but for the most part, I mean, like I live in the public eye, uh, the, right. the work that I do is the public and, and uh, I, and I, I'm, I'm okay with it. You know, I don't, I don't find that to be um, bad at all. And I'm actually mostly, I mostly deal with Instagram and Facebook just because I think maybe it's just the, the arrow that I'm from TikTok. Sure. Like if I find something that's kind of snappy and, and quick and, and, uh, and maybe funny or something like that, then I'll, I'll put it on right. there, but I don't post to it very religiously. I, I don't really know actually what is the best, um, times to post and all that kind of stuff either. So I'm still kind of figuring all that out. I, po- I post me, at 11 a- I post at 11 a.m. every morning. But you have like Tekla Herzegova on there, and you have like Haley Wright's right. on there, and you know Amanda's on there, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know uh, some of the some of the greatest, other than like Garrett Warren. They're, I mean, they're, these, they're much but, no, they're much but, more prolific than I am. I, I I put my half, hat off to them because the, the the stuff that they're putting out is awesome. Um, yeah, but you know. For and all all the other people out there, like because a lot of them, they're very acrobatic, so they have a lot of stuff right. to show off all the time. I'm not an acrobatic person, like I, I never was a guy that did a lot of flips and all that kind of stuff. So, right. Um, I, I sometimes I feel at a bit of a disadvantage in, in a certain respect. Um, but on the other end of it, though, for me, it's just like I don't really see my social media as something that I, I do see it as a tool in in some ways, but for the most part, I just kind of use it as a video diary myself, right. a picture video diary. Um, cause a lot of stuff I put on there, you know, like, like my, I always tell people that film is my, my favorite hobby as well as my profession, you know? So right. I don't right. like, I love doing what I do. And, um, a lot of it, you know, if I put it on there, I like to scroll through sometimes and just look at the, the stuff like, Oh yeah, I did that. And it's just like being able to look, scroll through all my, my memories of, hey. of, some of some of the fame, some of my favorite things that I've done in my entire life, you know. Well, I, I think both. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun for me to do. 
Yeah, it is. I, I mm-hmm. you, you obviously you know who Yoshi is. You know, I, I, I love what. Yeah, Yoshi. You know, he does his TikToks without a shirt on, and he like breaks an apple in half. <laughs> you know, I, I, I just I laugh every single time. And they're like, there's like a hundred women on the on the comments going like, "Can you have my baby, please?" And like he's doing it, yeah. <laughs> and he's doing like, you know, I mean, he kills me. I mean, he. He murders my soul because he, he, he never trained traditional martial arts. He, he's naturally yeah. uh, like skilled. And it's like, can you please stop? Like, I mean, it's like, <laughs> like can you please, like, can you please stop this junk? I mean, it's not like he doesn't train his, yeah. his, his things like now and doesn't work extremely hard, but he's naturally the way he is. Like, oh, God, stop, yeah. please. But yeah, he's got a huge TikTok well, following as well. Well, Andy's such such a nice guy too. I mean, I I kind of came up with him, or um, you know, around the same time at least. And yeah, I mean, he's just he's just always he always has a smile on his face. He's very he's very accommodating to you know um, his friends and and uh, you know he, he like he like he likes uh, keeping his fans in mind. And I mean, I don't know. I have a lot of respect for the guy. He uh, yeah he really has made a name for himself internationally, and he's done a really good job at all of it. And um. I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I don't think, I think it's against my Midwestern sensibilities to post a yeah. lot of like, you know, shirtless photos and stuff like that. Uh, not that I'm against it. I don't think that anybody should be ashamed of that or, or like whatever, but yeah. for me personally, I feel, feel, uh, self-conscious maybe. I don't know. Like, I, I don't think right. that I have a bad body or anything like that. Um, and right. I'll post, you know, I'll post like nice, looking pictures or whatever but you know really putting my body out there a lot other than like maybe you know martial arts kind of stuff feels awkward for me i mean i'll still do it every once in a while but it still does feel a bit awkward for me um right and even even you know i've, I've talked to this a couple times with like my girlfriend and you know whatever about you know say if like there was a sex scene in, in a movie or something like that and i was like i most likely wouldn't do those parts i mean if mm. it was a really great story and it and the sex scene itself really made the story, you know, there was such an impact right. to it. Um, right. You know, I, I might consider it, but for the most part, it's not something that I feel comfortable doing. You know, I just, I think it's just maybe coming from, like, like I said, you know, like the my Midwestern sensibilities are just, um, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It was always one of those things, like, one, never boast about yourself, you know, don't talk well, well about yourself and, and just, uh, make sure that you, you know, you're humble and that you keep your head down, work hard and that kind of stuff, you know? And, and I right. think that I've kind of stuck with that a lot. Um, I think, you know, maybe some people would disagree looking from my social media. Like some people think that I might like, uh, I might be bragging too much sometimes, but I mean, for me, it's like, I don't think I, so. whenever I post it, whenever I post anything, I always try to make it very much like, this is what I did. Not like, you know, like trying to hype it up so much. It was just like, this is what I did. You judge it, you know? Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, that, 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 I don't know. I, I, I have a lot of respect for those guys because they, they have, they have different kinds of personalities and, and things that are working for them so well and different kinds of skills that are working for them amazingly. And that, um, I would, Sometimes I'm jealous because like I can't do any of that stuff. But on the other hand, I'm like, well, I have my own, I have my own things. I, I'm, I, well, can, uh, I can, I can do table. I, yeah, I've always loved Yoshi. Yoshi and I have worked together several times. We've been friends for many, many, many years, and uh, I really appreciate mm-hmm. his personality. 
But, you know, it was, it was really a pleasure having you on. It, you know, it's my honor to, to know you. And uh, I think of you as a friend. And it's, it's great to know you. Uh, you're, you're an excellent personality and somebody incredibly passionate about what they do. There are very few people in, in my existence, in my life, that when they say they're going to do something, I believe they're going to do something. So when you say you're going to do something, I, I know for a fact it's going to be done. So, you know, I, mean, I contacted you about the show and you were on literally a, a day later. So <laughs> I asked, uh, you know, a, a, a band to be on the show, like some nebulous band out of Utah. And then they totally kept me in red and <laughs> didn't even contact me back. And I'm like, it, you know, it's always the <laughs> nicest people. It's always the most successful people. It's always the people that have the most drive that are the nicest and I, I think that that really count. You're really a, a part of that genre, really part of that world of incredibly nice people, incredibly fortunate people, incredibly giving people that are incredibly skilled, give a lot, and people adore you for that. So as we as we close out this show, how can people contact you? I, I know you were talking about Instagram and TikTok. So. What are your handles on, on both on both those um, uh, applications? Uh, well, Instagram uh, it's at Peter Jang official, and it's the same on TikTok at Peter Jang official. I try to keep it easy. Um, I also have a website. Uh, it's my production company. It's called it's uh, www.simplicity.pictures. Uh, there's no .com at the end of it that some people get confused about. Simplicity.pictures. Right. Um, and then in there, there's also uh, tabs that uh, go with my acting work, my stunt work, my directing, my writing, uh, screen, you know, different kind of things. Uh, it has links to sc- my screenplays. Um, I'm on the International Screenwriters Association uh, website. Uh, I was one of their top 25 in 2019 and also one of, one of their emerging screenwriters competitions right. for my screenplay year. So I have, I have screenplays on there. I'm on Coverfly for my screenplays as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think the most direct way of getting to me would probably be through my Instagram at Peter Jang Official or um, through my website, uh, simplicity.pictures. That's excellent. That's a, well, we're looking forward to everything you do. I'm looking forward to reading that script as well. Uh, but we look forward to everything you do. It was a real pleasure to have you on the show. A real honor, and we appreciate your insight. I think a, a lot of people have learned a lot of things that were, uh, quite honestly, brand new, uh, because we've done many, many shows, and uh, you know we have a pretty, I think, a decent audience, and they've heard a lot of people speak. But really, you, you've given a fresh take on a, on a lot of these things, so we really appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you, Steve, and uh, you, you've been a great friend, and I, I'm glad to know you all these years. Thank you very much, my friend. All right, we're going to give you a clap as, as we leave you, my friend. All right, it was great having you on. God bless. And we're going to talk about you behind your back. All right, my friend. Bye-bye. Thank you, Steve. Have a good one. Wouldn't that be a great – wouldn't that be great to have that? <laughs> All right, boys and girls, that was an excellent episode, wasn't it? Peter Jang is quite the personality, is he not? Intelligent, charismatic, hardworking. You know, people trust and love him. And that's something to say. 
all the times that I've met him, all the times, all the years that I've known him, he's always been very consistent in his personality, in his temperament, in the way he sees things, at least from my perspective, in the way he, the way he sees friendship. It was a real great honor and pleasure to have Peter Jang on there from Ohio, training martial arts, to San Diego State. <laughs> Let's not make that mistake, right? Learning a field that he's not even into anymore. To being a stunt choreographer, a stunt performer, a writer, a director, a producer. That's quite a human being. He has an actor, by the way. He has his finger in every pie. He has his toes in every river. That shows to you why people love working with him. Why an 18-hour day with him is fantastic. And doesn't allow for fault. Nobody's perfect, but I don't think we're expecting that from human beings. From the time that I've known him before to time now, I've known nobody different. He's always been the same person. Creative, courageous, strong, and forthright. That's something to admire. And I think admire is the greatest word to describe Peter Jang. He's somebody to admire. Great insight today. Great thoughts on how to perceive stunt work. I hope the actors out there that are listening understand where he's coming from. I, think, I do think he comes from a martial art background to understand the passion of an actor and how you need to separate that into the stunt performer who can separate themselves from that so nobody gets hurt and allows consistency within action. We look forward to his future work, his screenplay, the new film that he's trying to make. We want to support him all the way. All of you out there, thank you for listening today. We really appreciate you being here from United States to Canada to Germany, from Alaska to Russia to Greece to Chile, Peru, Mexico, Australia, New Zealand, the Kiwi Nation. I appreciate you all. In this time of great discontent of the pandemic that, honestly, we can't escape right now. And I cannot not talk about it. Remember to post to one another. Remember to respect the fact that you're able to live, that you're able to breathe, and for the film industry that Peter Jang's involved in, that it's able to survive this great deal in our life. Thank God we all have work and family and life and people. Hold your family close. Love one another. And if any time in your life, be honest and be true. 
you see all these people quitting their jobs, that should be called the honesty section of our existence, where you take a good look at life and you're like, you know, I'm going to live it to the nth degree. We think we thank Peter Jang for being on our show today. Great friend, great person. It's an honor to have him on. And thank you to all of you for listening today. Have a blessed day, and I'll see you next time. My name is Steve Peter. Thank you for listening to Central Radio. An amazing week. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.